Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com You are listening to The Women's Podcast, brought to you by Green and Black's Organic Chocolate. Chocolate to savour. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Just in case you don't know, the Irish Times is producing a daily confronting Corona podcast and it has updates on all the developments in this constantly changing situation. You can find it on irishtimes.com and it really is worth listening to the latest episode. One of the latest episodes features an item about women in pregnancy and the virus, so that may be of interest to many of you. On today's episode, we have the first woman president and leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou MacDonald. She's also the woman who was responsible for leading her party to a quite phenomenal result in the last general election, winning 24% of the first preference votes in this country. As many of you will also know, she contracted coronavirus but has now recovered and she came on the podcast to talk to us about isolation, her lockdown learnings, COVID-19 and her hopes for this country. But before we hear from Mary Lou MacDonald, I wanted to let you know about an event we are running this Saturday, the 25th of April. It's the second of our Irish Times women's podcasts, Big Nights In. We had Marion Keyes a couple of weeks ago. It was fantastic. And this Saturday, I'll be joined on Zoom by the hilarious and brilliant human that is comedian Deirdre O'Kane. It's an event for Irish Times subscribers, but we want to make sure some listeners get to join. So we have five tickets to our very special Zoom event up for grabs. All you have to do is this. We are preparing one of our themed episodes and we want you to take part by sending us a voice memo. Now, if you don't know how to do a voice memo, I think just ask a younger, kind friend to help, and I'm sure they'd be more than glad to do that. In the voice memo, we want you to tell us briefly what you do or what you used to do, your name and what you're up to at the moment, and then tell us what you're most looking forward to doing when lockdown is lifted. So I'll give you an example. It could go something like this. My name is Roisin Ingle. I am the presenter of the Irish Times Women's Podcast and I live in Dublin with my partner and my two 11-year-old daughters. What I'm most looking forward to when lockdown is lifted is going into my mother's bedroom and giving her the biggest hug and snuggle, possibly on her bed, uh, lying down if she'll let me. And then I am looking forward to going to my good friend Jerry's house for a game of table tennis and having friends around for food and singing and just seeing all my friends all around the place in various connotations. And then I will definitely need a big walk down to the Poolbeg Lighthouse in Dublin because I miss it very much. So that's the kind of thing, your name, who you are, what you do or what you used to do. And then just send us a voice memo. So send us your When Lockdown is Lifted voice memos by direct message on Twitter to at IT Women's Podcast or via email to 
the women's podcast at irishtimes.com and we'll pick five of the best voice memos and then we'll send you the Zoom invite for our big night in with Deirdre O'Kane, which is sponsored by Green and Blacks and it's happening this Saturday. We can't wait to hear your post-lockdown fantasies, so please send them in and bear in mind that some of them may end up being broadcast on this very podcast at some point. Now, her mantra of change and her party's focus on issues of voter concern, such as housing and health, struck a chord and meant that many people, and I know some of you listeners are included in that, voted for Sinn Féin for the first time, partly because of Mary Lou Macdonald's policies and her focus on addressing inequalities in Irish society. You'll also know that she has just recovered from what sounds like a very nasty bout of the coronavirus, so she knows firsthand just how horrible an experience that is. She came on the podcast to talk to us about that and about her hopes politically for this country. We also spoke about lockdown learnings, family life and her Netflix binge shows of choice, Picture the scene. We spoke on Zoom and she was in her home office, in her home in Cabra. Uh, the room is decorated with pictures of Countess Markiewicz and Nelson Mandela. I think you will really enjoy this conversation with the leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou MacDonald. Mary Lou, thank you very much for joining us on the Women's Podcast. First of all, I have to ask how you are because you are one of the people who contracted coronavirus. I'm, I'm good, uh, Roshan, and I'm delighted to be on your podcast and to be seeing you um, in this unusual format. I'm good. Uh, I'm very thankful to be uh, at the far end of what was uh, a difficult enough couple of weeks. Um, but you know what? <clears throat> I consider myself to be lucky. Um, I'm just so conscious, uh, even as we're speaking now, that there will in all likelihood, be people who are listening, who may be listening, who are fighting this virus at this time or who have family members, loved ones who are. So I wish them a speedy recovery. And above all, I'm just conscious of so many people with more than a thousand deaths now across the island. Mm. All of those people who uh, have buried loved ones. I mean, it's absolutely heartbreaking. So I feel lucky. I feel very, very fortunate. But it's a horrible virus, Roshi. Um it's uh, very, very nasty. And certainly if anybody ever had any or has any sense of bravado or invincibility in terms of this virus, I would say you've got that wrong. Without a doubt, we know that older people, tragically, we see that playing out in our nursing homes. We know that people with serious underlying conditions are more vulnerable to get very sick and, and worse to, to lose their lives. Uh, but nobody should think that they're they're invincible. We have no immunity, and and certainly when the virus comes to you, it uh, it, it will it flatten me. Um, and uh, it, it was a difficult enough experience. But look, I'm lucky I wasn't hospitalised. I'm the far end, but now I feel great. Well, tell me about the beginnings because I know that your son was in the school where it was one of the first stories in a way that the school had to close. So it kind of came to your family at the very beginning didn't it in terms of affecting you the school that the children go to is actually the place where the very first case of this virus was found uh, on the island so yeah I guess we were we were ahead of the curve the, the school closed the kids haven't been back since they're uh they're it's <laughs> <laughs> going well Mary Lou's face just got quite you know intense there when she said that I have to share that my, my deep maternal instinct for my two teenage children I'm sure you'll agree so yes, it was uh, 
so really we we've been ahead ahead of the curve that was at the beginning of march um so again it just goes to show you uh you can be extremely careful as i am i'm the kind of person that in an emergency situation if i am given advice i follow it meticulously which drives my other half mad but that's how we operated and yet I managed to pick it up. So this is a, a very aggressive virus. Uh, it's highly infectious. It's easily transmitted. We have no antivirals, much less a vaccine at this stage. It makes you sick uh, and it, it makes you a vehicle for transmitting it elsewhere. So you see all of the advice we've been given and all of the really difficult decisions that are testing people. And let's face it, are hard on families. You know, it's it's a big ask to be confined essentially to your home, to be only able to walk within two, you know, go out within two kilometers. It's a harder station, again, to have lost your job and your income and all of the stress that that brings. But the measures that have been introduced are there for a specific purpose, and that is to keep people well and to save lives. So for me, the whole experience, I suppose, was coming from kind of almost uh, a, a political position to a very personal position to theory uh, in some respects and to reality. Um, and, and that's been, uh, you know, very instructive. So when it did come to your house and when you realised, oh God, I think the symptoms tally with what, what um, people are talking about, it was that an awful feeling to think that somehow you had picked it up and brought it into your home. Tell me about how that panned out from the kind of realising it and then what you did in your own house and then getting the test and everything. Well, I think um, and this might sound a little bit difficult to to articulate, but let me let me try. I think when you have this uh, virus, you feel a very immediate sense of connection with everybody else who has it, um, and a very acute sense. And I know all of us are very conscious that people are unwell, and certainly any bereavement, you know, any loss of life, but a really direct sense of of, of uh, you know feeling that um so uh i was very upset i mean I, I was emotionally upset at the fact that this virus had come into our home um and uh i suppose then you worry i like i've got i've got you know family and you you worry about that but look I, I, at the end of the day um you I have understood all along that I got very, very lucky. I mean, I wasn't hospitalized. Um, uh, other people, and it's it's not, by the way, it's not all older people. That's not true. Other people have ended up in ICU and weeks on ventilators and all, all of the stress that that, and, and the peril that that brings, that didn't happen to me. So my overwhelming sense, I, I think really throughout it has been lucky. The one thing is, is this, is my, I got tested and then I waited for 16 days for a result. So I found that, um, you know, obviously distressing to be kind of left in the dark is, is not a good place to be. But, but actually when I, when I reflected on it and when I reflect on it now, the, the bigger difficulty was, yes, the delay in the test, but that, that has a consequence. And the consequence of that is a delay in tracing. And that's dangerous, you know. So in my case, uh, those that had to be contact traced were getting a call over three weeks 
after the fact that they had been in contact with me. I mean, that's insane. I mean, that's shambolic. It can't continue. I know there's been some actions taken to correct for that, but, you know, the, the big announcements have to be matched by what's actually happening on the ground. And certainly when you get this virus, when you're sick with it and, and all the rest of it, that that very much is to, that's now as in, in my in my job now and in my work, in my role in society, that's very much to the forefront of my you, mind. You say it flattened you and then also there's the quarantine aspect of it. So did you have to like go into isolation within your house? How did that work? What did that look like? Where were you? How were those weeks? Well, it's, it's very, very difficult. I mean, it's for any family when this uh, lands to, to to keep yourself right. But you you follow the HSE guidelines, you follow the public health guidelines. And the minute I became symptomatic, and you've seen this because it was a matter of some commentary, the minute I had any symptoms, and they're only very mild initially, uh, I stayed away from the doll um, because I took the view you can't... Um, you can't call on others to stay at home. Like if you are going to say that, you have to demonstrate that you mean it uh, and therefore you have to do it. So yeah, from the get-go, that's 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 what I that's what I did. And um it's tricky enough. And uh, I know from hearing other people's stories and talking to them that I, I'm certainly not alone in any of this. I, I was really interested over the weekend, the different accounts. In the media, you know, from journalists, right, like yourself, writing up story, other people's stories and how they felt. And, you know, there are similarities, similar veins running through all that. And one is is just the, the difficulty of managing it within your household. Hey, we're here. Yeah. Um, and so when how how bad did it get for you in terms of the illness? Because I think it affects everyone in different ways and people get different strains. Have you ever had it, had felt as sick as that no, before? Never. No. And uh, it's it's interesting, you know. The naturally enough, the the, the public health advice will, have, you know, see temperature, you know, a cough, and and all of that. But uh, the truth is that for very very many people, the 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 sickness is much more complex than that. It's not simply the case. So I didn't have runaway raging fevers. I had spikes, but I wasn't, you know. Um, so. It, uh, it it just affected, it, it's very hard to even describe what it was like, but it absolutely floored me. And and, and in answer to your direct question, uh, no, I had never been that sick. And I hope that I will never be. And I hope that every morning that I wake up, just the feeling of gratitude for feeling well, just for feeling yourself mm. and being able to get up and get around and all of this. And listen, I don't be on a a pity party like I'm really really lucky I've great health like I'm 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 an extremely resilient for touch wood uh person so uh do you know when it, go, going through the experience I was very conscious of um somebody who uh was not well or somebody you know older people and just you know my god it would be just a devastating thing um for the for them to con- contract this and I don't know how I don't know how I got it no you don't you still don't know how no no clue no. Uh, um, and you got some kind of bacterial thing as well going on with with the virus well as it happened as I was and my my doctor fortunately um was was on the mark on on, on this one as it turns out when I when I came out of the viral uh, infection I got a, a pleurisy in my right lung 
but that was what they call a secondary um, bacterial uh, infection. So as, as it was explained to me, your system is so, um, I suppose, tired from, from fighting the virus off that just a sneaky beaky bacteria decides to pop into your, into your right lung. And so, yeah, that was quite painful. But I was, again, I was very fortunate. It was accurately diagnosed. Um, I was, I got, the, the, I was prescribed exactly the right medicine. Um, and I took that and I came out with, bear in mind, all of this happened. And then I got my result. Just think about that, you know? Yeah. So uh, they tell us now that that's fixed. I, 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 it needs to be fixed and we, we need to make sure that it's fixed uh, because we, we can't manage the situation we're in, not just in the short term, but in the longer term. You know, I've been listening over the weekend to all this talk about exits and God knows all of us yearn for, um, you know, just, just the freedom to do whatever, you know, all of the things that we've missed to go and hug your mommy or to see your friends or to have a cup of tea or whatever your tipple is, a G&T or a glass of wine or orange juice or whatever with your friends. But uh, we need to be we need to be very mindful that um, you can't exit. We cannot exit from this as a society unless and until we have testing and we have tracing really, really knuckled down. It's absolutely essential, essential for that to happen. I, I, we were, were told that um, that things will improve and that the system will be much more efficient and testing more expansive. Certainly, that needs to happen before, in my view, by, by my estimation, before we have any serious conversation about gradually unwinding the restrictions. Escape the Ordinary with Green and Black's Organic Chocolate, sponsor of the Women's Podcast. A rich, intense chocolate to savour. I mean, I think people, by and large, seem to be quite... Um, happy with the way Leo Varadkar and Simon Harris have been leading this and certainly and as much as anybody can lead us through a crisis like this they seem to be getting a lot of praise when you look at their performance so far how do you feel about what they've done and how they've performed look I, I, I'm the same as everybody else I think um, when you find yourself in an emergency like this there's no there's, there's no easy way to deal with it do, do you know what I mean yeah. and I think all of us wish the very very best to everybody right across the system and in government uh, to make the right calls and to to do the right thing. So to that extent, um, I'm all for, as they say, pulling on the, 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 the green jersey in a positive way and to supporting people and assisting people to, to, to make the right decisions and challenging them when you think they've just got it wrong, you know, because there has to be room uh, for that uh, as well. Um, I, I, I think whoever would be uh, in charge at this time would face a challenge, but would also enjoy the support of the population because he, here's here's my assessment of it. I've um, and I've heard people say, you know, young people aren't observing what needs to be done and so on and so forth. But the vast, vast majority of people, including our young people who are brilliant, absolutely brilliant, young women and men, brilliant, have got this they have this they they know that the stakes are very high and they have really rallied magnificently and and so i think that's the spirit of, of, of where we're at but mistakes were made mistakes have been made there are still shortfalls and 
certainly we need to be we need to be in the same spirit able to take those faults and fix them and for those in government to take those criticisms I suppose or uh, the need to be held accountable and take it in the right spirit. Um, psychologically this is going to have repercussions for all of us I think in different ways that will only be seen maybe afterwards but a lot of people are finding out some stuff about themselves during this time being locked down is there anything you've been reflecting on that you've discovered about yourself or that you're surprised about or that is just interesting to you about how you're coping with your particular situation well I generally live a life where I am on the go like it's 24 seven and it's you know uh and I'm very much the, the part of 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 being in political life that I that I enjoy that I kind of revel in uh is being out and about and meeting people and you know I actually got repetitive strain injury in the last election from hugging people just to give you just by way of illustration so um so I, I miss that. I miss that. I miss the company of it. I miss the stimulation of it. I miss the crack of it. I miss hearing people's ideas, even hearing people's complaints are coming up and giving out to you, all of that. But what I've learned is that I can still, I can still be quiet and manage at home and that it's not the end of the world if you're not out and about. Because again, in, in political life, any of us, you can feel a pressure to, to be out there and I should be doing this and I should be doing that. And, you know, you have to, this, this uh, crisis has forced all of us to, to stop, just to stop in our tracks and to take very deep breaths and to relearn in some ways how we do things that we're at every day. And so I think that's been that's been uh, a very very good thing. I've also learned how deeply I love my hairdresser. I mean, I always appreciated her, but uh, <laughs> never never in the same way as I do now. And uh, for those who anyone who, who actually gets to see me, uh, I think will uh, will appreciate why. So yeah, it's been nice. It's been nice as well in terms of uh, having a bit of time with uh, additional quality time with my kids. They're they're teenagers, so. If they were doing this podcast, they might say something very different. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's been nice. So so uh, so yeah, that's that that that's good. Reflection is always good, and taking it down a couple of notches is is no harm. Just on the point of view of the kids, when you were sick, when you were in the thick of it, that must have been so scary for them. Well, funny enough, they're fairly steady kind of kids, and um, and they they were. You know, they were they were all right. They they were in in many ways. I think if you had younger children, mm. it would be more difficult again. Like my my kids are teenagers, so um, they're fairly self sufficient. You know, in terms of doing things for themselves and that, um, and they're 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 pretty philosophical. They also are at that age where they believe that they are invincible. Um, now I'm not sure that they transferred the same invincibility to their mother, but they're in that. Do you remember when you were a teenager and you kind of you could understand the seriousness of things and things that you need to do, but you're in a different space certainly than people who are older than you and how you respond to things. And I think very often that just that that gives you that buoyancy to get through things. You know, that's true. Now this all happened at a really, I mean, I suppose 
interesting, let's say, time for you. You come out of the back of an election where you've Sinn Féin has done phenomenally well, 24% of the first preferences. I mean, just an incredible result. Um, and I suppose before this happened, there were still the conversations going on. And so much has changed now with this. Um, I suppose I just wanted to ask you about where you are now with everything, because this framework document has come out with Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, uh, incorporating quite a few things maybe that you would have been saying um, before. So I think you've said imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. <laughs> uh, so can you just bring us up to speed as to where Sinn Féin is in terms of these talks? And is there still a possibility, do you think, that the change that people want to see might still be possible? Oh, listen, not alone is there a possibility. There's an absolute necessity for it to happen. And, you know, all of the things that the, the, the individual policy areas and dile- social dilemmas that we discussed in the course of the election campaign. Let me just take housing as an example, so I'm not rhyming off a list. Um, You know, we talked to you, you remember about the need for council housing, the need for affordable housing. We talked about renters and how they had been left uh, high and dry as rents went through through the roof. Um, Now, with the benefit of the COVID experience, I, I hope that we understand all the more clearly that your home is your sanctuary. Do you know where if, if, if you need to isolate or even just to obey the rules of the new rules of society for now, you need a stable roof over your head and you need appropriate accommodation. So actually, the, the crisis, rather than lessening and saying, well, sure, forget about that now, uh, rather than lessening that, it makes it all the more urgent because the reality is that um, safe societies from a public health point of view provide stable accommodation to their citizens, stable appropriate accommodation. So that needs to happen equally with health and the, and the need for a decent public health service where if you're sick, you can see a doctor where you're not on trolleys and we don't have endless waiting uh, lists. I think that now speaks loudly and for itself uh, in the here and now. So you see the things that we set out in the in the course of the election coming, there was no frills. If you actually think about it, we were talking about getting the basic things right, the decent things right. We need to do that now. So there's no question of this uh, agenda being derailed or this change uh, being off the agenda. What I think has happened, in fact, what I know has happened, is that uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, who, and I respect they have a mandate. Let me just say that up front. But what they are choosing to do with that mandate is to band together, to frustrate, to slow down the change that people, it's not just Sinn Féin, this is much bigger. I've always known this is much way beyond us. Mm. But the, the change that Sinn Féin and other political parties that also had a great day out of the election, who did very well, to stop that, to stymie that, to blunt that. And so they co-opt our language into their framework document. But that's all it is. It's it's a rhetorical flourish. It's spin. There's no substance to it. There's no sinew to it. And, and above all, there's no credibility to it. These guys were in government for four years together in confidence and supply, albeit. And we saw the evidence of their political orientation and their values and they're the result of, of them of them working together. So I, I was reading uh, today one commentator. It may have been in the Times. I'm not sure, but uh, I saw them describe the framework document as a, a 
a honey track, which I thought was an interesting to kind of lure somebody in, to, you know, others in to have the conversation. So change is coming uh, of that. There is no doubt because it's necessary, not because I say so or because Sinn Féin demands it. It's because Irish society is at a point of a very interesting routine during the election, talking to people all across the country. And they said to me two things. They said, number one, we need change. It, it's got to change. And they had a very worked out sense of how that looked, by the way. It wasn't airy fairy stuff. And they said, number two, we want Sinn Féin to be part of that, to drive it. So nobody voted for us for protest. That's a complete false analysis. Uh, the actual empirical evidence from the ground, because people told me, we're voting for you because we want you to roll up your sleeves, get the job done and form part, part of a government. And, and then you had the passage of play around Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, insistent on keeping us out. Um, and that is it's not because they don't think we're fit for government. They know that we're very fit for government, actually. I think that's the piece, if they were to be honest about it, that probably bothers them most. Right. So is there any chance, do you think, given that situation has changed so much and we're in a, such a completely different world now, do you think there's any chance there could be another election? There might be. I mean, I, I, I think and any anybody who, who wishes for an election, and there might be some within the political system, who am I to say, would need to be very, very conscious in the very first in, instance of the public health consequences of that. I mean, uh, where where you have to do physical distancing and, and so on, and where we're at now. I mean, it certainly couldn't happen in the immediate um, term. Uh, in the longer term, I mean, I, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm kind of philosophical about that. If there's another election, we will go out and we will contest in the next election. Uh, we'll run more candidates next time around. And I, I don't say that with bravado because I'm very conscious that each, each election is different. But I'm also conscious of this, that... Uh, whatever way things pan out in the short term, that in the medium and the long term, um, a, a huge, significant section of people's minds are settled in terms of what we need to do collectively next and where Irish society needs to go. And I, I don't think any amount of manoeuvring or spin from, from, any, from the two old parties is actually going to quell that. I, I suspect that that's their hope, that, you know, well, you know, if we talk about things correctly, if we give a little, if we take the shine off the shinners, if we, and, and that's okay. That's, you know, on one level, that's a political plan and, and that's okay. But it misses that this isn't, this is like so many other big issues. The people are way ahead of where the old establishment politics, politicians are. And I'm sure that's very unsettling for them. That has to be pretty uh, unnerving, but it's where it's at. And I think it's actually quite an exciting time. And so I haven't given up on anything. I haven't conceded on anything. In fact, if anything, I'm, I'm more determined and more clear now than I've ever been in my head around the, the political job that, that, that we need to do. But Mary Lou, is it realistic that, that you can kind of do something now in terms of getting into government with, with, with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael now coming together with the crisis that has happened? Do you still see a chink of light that Sinn Féin could be part of that? Yes. I mean, the, the, there there is now a determined uh, effort for that not to be the case. I mean, I, 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 I register and, and recognise that. But the truth is, as we're speaking here today, Roisin, the numbers don't add up for anyone. Um, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael 
don't have a dull majority between them. I suppose that's a historic piece of history in and uh, of itself. Uh, so the question now is whether others uh, will come and assist them back into government together again. And that's an open question. Um, obviously, I respect the absolute entitlement of others to take their own decision. Uh, they're not they're not necessarily going to follow my lead or, or my advice. Um, but there is the simple fact uh, for lots of us who were elected, we were elected not for more of the same. And all of us know this. I mean, we've talked and we all know this. And the question is whether or not you satisfy yourself with an arrangement which is essentially more of the same. What, what does that yield when, when, all of the, when all of the pressure politics subsides and when hope touch wood, you know, we're at the far side of this, of this immediate public health crisis and we, we need to rebuild a new society um, and we need to cater for, in real terms, for all of our people in an inclusive way, what does that, what does, you know, what, what does that amount to? So I, I think people need to think very carefully. And in my view, it would be, I said during the election, the best outcome is government without either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. Um, the worst outcome would be Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. And it, it looks like they are set to try and manoeuvre the worst outcome. So we're still talking to parties. We will still work continue to work on this and as they say it's not over till it's over there's still some considerable water to go under the bridge it's interesting because many of the issues that you've spoke about in the campaign and the issues that people seem to respond to were around inequality and I think this pandemic has really this idea on one level people have been talking about how it's a great leveler but like more and more you see that it's absolutely not that as usual the people who are most vulnerable are the worst affected so we've been talking a lot on the podcast about for example women who are in abusive situations in the home which is something that you know is is apparently worse uh, anecdotally perhaps is more than hard facts but definitely the Gardaí are getting more calls and people in direct provision as well and being in those really small, those communities that are very difficult to social distance in. Are those the kind of um, stories you're hearing and people are talking to you about or that you're concerned about as this thing goes on? Absolutely. And the the experiences around violence in the home, domestic violence, um, uh, are not just just anecdotal. I mean, there's there's a precedent for this this uh, ratcheting up um, of, of, of violence and tension in people's homes and people living in, in danger, because certainly that was the experience during the last crisis, you know? Um, and I know in my own uh, constituency, speaking to people who work in the community and who provide just outstanding service to the community, uh, they report regularly that um, you know, tension, a, a social tension means, uh, unfortunately, brings all sorts of negatives. One of which is uh, an increase in in domestic uh, violence. So yes, uh, I, I said myself earlier on, you know, communities rallied, and there's a level of which we are in all in this together. But you're absolutely right to point out that, of course, our living circumstances uh, are completely. Uh, different and there is a huge gash in Irish society um, in which you have 
uh, enormous numbers of people who are who are left behind. And you can define that in any number of ways, people living in direct provision, people living on halting sites. And there was some reprieve given in terms of no evictions and, and so on. Um, people living in, in, in poverty, you know, people who live in flats uh, that are damp and that that you know play havoc with with their respiratory system in the best of times never mind in a COVID-19 situation people who live in flats and th this is one of my bugbears people who know me will you know recognize this um people who live in 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 homes where they they don't have sufficient space for a kitchen table so you eat your dinner from your lap still in the year 2020 in 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 Dublin city and where there's no room for the kids to color or do their homework or whatever the case may be. So you're right. It's it's not the same for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and the, but I, I think the, the, the big question where this can be a lever, right, where this can be a lever is if we are smart enough and if we have the humility and the imagination as a society to learn the big lessons. So the big lessons for us as individuals is, we go on with a lot of things that don't really matter in the end. In the end, it matters that you're well. It matters that you have good people around you, that you're steady and that you're good in your skin and that you have a roof over your head and food on the table and, and so on. So if we are capable individually in our own lives of kind of reflecting on those things, then collectively we need a bigger reflection. And we need to say to ourselves, we actually want a society that's equal because equal societies are safe societies. Equal societies, as you know, Roisin, uh, are also more prosperous societies. So it's not about us, you know, uh, sacrificing, you know, progress or resources in the name of equality. The two, by definition, go go hand in hand. So even though there and there are some people now living through very difficult times when we talked about my own experience, but I'm very conscious of people who who are in a violent uh, situation, how frightening it is at this stage and how isolated people can feel. And that's where others and community come in, you know, to be, to reach in, you know, to reach in and to assist. And the services uh, that that people rely on have for a very very long time been completely under resourced. I mean, they got decimated during the the austerity years. You know, chickens come home to roost, and when when the going gets tough, these are exactly the services that we rely on. Exactly the services. Yeah, I think you make a very good point. I was talking to a woman called Margaret Heffernan, who's a very interesting business consultant, and she's talking about that how it's really shown the importance of having enough resources. So that's when something happens that it's not pinned to the collar, that there is actually room to breathe. And hopefully that might be something that people will take out of this. Um, I just want to be a bit nosy, Mary Lou, in terms of your own lockdown life. <laughs> um, have you made any banana bread? No, I haven't. Uh, what, what have I made? That's Not that, but I will. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, we have cooked and cooked and cooked. <laughs> So everything is home cooked. Now, I think that's a really good outcome of, uh, of you know, a very good. There's no flour anywhere in Cabra. We're going to have to have our own independent. Have you. have you got some in Fibsborough? I'm going to come and get some. So there's there's no, you know, people are really taking. What have I cooked? We've cooked a couple of interesting curries and I've done 
I do a really good uh, vegetarian lasagna. It's one of my signature dishes. So we've, we've done that. Um, so no, I, I haven't been doing a whole amount of baking. Okay. But uh, no doubt I'll, I'll, I'll clear some space and do that. And I suppose we're not used to being on top of each other like this as a family these days. You know, everyone's out, like you described earlier, doing your own thing. Are there any little, you know, habits of people you're noticing that you were, you were able to kind of uh, ignore before? That's a very like searching question. <laughs> yes, lots yeah. of them. Too many roasting. You your head yet. To your, to your <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's 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 gas, I suppose. When you when you see the kind of interaction between people, when it's like twenty four seven, and my kids are, as I say, are teenagers, so you know how important they peer group and friends you know as you ditch mommy and daddy and move speedily on to, to your real life um so it's been just very interesting in terms of um even the things that my kids uh, choose to, to to watch you know for their leisure time so I was like you know watch it together you know bond brother and sister um so they chose this absolutely weird thing you know about your man who owns the zoo what's what the tiger king thing? yes now I have to tell you, you know, I'm I'm a you know, I, I'm not a stick in the mud, but I saw this. What in the name of God are you watching? So this guy with this zoo and some unfortunate had their arm bitten off or something in the bin. <laughs> so what is this? So anyway, they told me I was far too fuddy tuddy that uh, his name is Joe. Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic, that's right. Very, Very good. good. But I, so I, I I now know who Joe Exotic is. <laughs> And what about um, your own Netflix binging? Have you been watching anything? Or you know what I finished uh, watching was Mindhunter. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that one yet. 1970s, FBI. Very, very interesting. I was put on to it by a, a friend and a work colleague of mine. Well, I'll give a shout out now. Uh, her name is Anya Downs. She is, she says, my Netflix consultant. The last time she encouraged me to watch something was... Uh, What's it called? Love is Blind. Have you seen that? Yes, I did. Yes. Unfortunately, okay. I have seen that. <laughs> so I was a bit, I, I, initially when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, what's this? But it just became compulsive. It was just like, no, I have to, no, I'll just put on one more episode. So um, this time round, uh, I have seen um, Mindhunter. It's very good, actually. I'd, I'd recommend it to people. I also watched Dairy Girls when I was, when I was really sick at, at the end of my tether. Um, because I love Tommy Tiernan in particular in that series. The women are fabulous. Um, and the comedian guy, McAleer from Tyrone, um, <laughs> brother in is absolutely ours. I watch him all day. And then there, there's another great guy who, uh, a, a young um, man from Finglas, his name is uh, Darren uh, Conway. Now he's on Instagram and, and Twitter and all that. He is absolutely hilarious, Roshan. And if you happen to, he just does small weekends. I'd laugh all day at his sense of humor. So I find solace in those, those simple yeah, things. I'll give you another, I know I'm not your official Netflix uh, consultant, but I'll give you another tip called Too Hot to Handle, which is really bad. But <laughs> no, so, so bad it's good. It's yes. these young, beautiful people sent on to an island were told they can't have any romantic relations. Aha, uh-huh. I'd say that worked out well. Went to plan. <laughs> they get fined money every time they kiss or do anything. Oh my God, that's yeah. desperate. 
<laughs> Orwellian nightmare. Yeah. Exactly. Well, a bit like what we're living in now, right? Yes. Um, just finally, Mary Lou, what are your thoughts then for how Ireland is going to move through this? I mean, I was sort of talking about the psychological effect. There's so many layers to it in terms of job losses. Then even, you know, I, I, there was a lovely article in the Irish Times there recently about how we're a funeral people and People aren't able to tell that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have friends who've lost people not from COVID, but just, you know, p- elderly parents or sick parents and not been able to mourn them properly in the same way we're used to. There's going to be a lot to unpick um, afterwards when we do see some kind of end to this lockdown, isn't there? Absolutely. And I would not underestimate for, for a second the kind of, as you say, the psychological impact, the impact on people's mental health, um, um, the impact on people's resilience too. Um, so th- there's all of that. And then we have to, we also have to get to the work of uh, rebuilding an economy that serves us best. So for that, I mean, I, I think one of the most important things is that we absolutely, we have to get our priorities right. Uh, and we have to understand that the important things need to get done. And from the perspective of the political system, we need to stop telling people time and again how, yes, that's a great idea. No, no, we, we know it's important, but we just can't do it. We need to adopt, I, I'm going to use an Americanism here, a kind of can-do attitude for the things that need to, to happen. I think that would be very important because you're looking at people will have heard the figures, the budgetary deficit, um, the projections in terms of unemployment rates. People are living this. I mean, this isn't, you know, people are living this in their lives. Their income is gone. Is In some cases, people's businesses that they've worked for years to build up are, are, are now on, on, you know, in slumber or on, on, on life support. Um, so it, it is so important that we have a grounded political view in terms of how we are going to go about things and that we actually we, we anchor all of our efforts in the things that matter. So it matters that people not just have, you know, a, a good quality of life, because, you know, sometimes that has almost a frivolous ring to it, but that we get the basics right. So it's still about housing. It's still about health. It's still about income distribution. It's still about educational opportunity. It's still about providing the basic things. And you know what? If we could get there, Roshan, imagine if we got those things right. Childcare, you know, early uh, childhood education. Imagine if we got there. My God, that that's good work. That's something that you could take pride in. We could say we have those things right. We're never going to have perfection. Perfection, we know, is, isn't on offer. But look around us, look at who's, who lives here on this island and everything that we have. And like I, I feel, even, even though this, this is going to be a time of a huge challenge for people in their personal lives and for us as a society, I feel massively optimistic. I mean, we can do this, but we just have to decide that we're doing it and we have to ensure that we're not knocked off course or that nobody tries to talk us down and say, that's crazy talk. What are you talking about a society that's equal? That's not possible. It is possible, but it's only going to be possible when we say we are doing this. And we'll need to be strong for that, Mary Lou. Are you back fighting fish? Do you feel like yourself again? 
I do actually, and it's it's great. Um, I, I said to my mother, I will never take for granted again just waking up in the morning and feeling well, just feeling like myself. And then, you know, give me your worst. You take on then the the challenges of the day. And I suppose actually, you asked me earlier what what has been the big lesson for me. Do you know what? Actually, for me as a human being, that's the big lesson. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thanks, my pleasure. It's really great to, to talk to you and see you looking so well. And your hair looks grand. Don't be worrying. But, <laughs> but you can you can get onto her and book in a little date for maybe 2021. It might be Absolutely. this day. Well, you know, you know, I'd be like Rapunzel. Um, thank you very much, Mary Lou MacDonald. And that's it for today. I really love what she said about the importance of our health. And it's never been more sort of important than at this time. And we wish Mary Lou MacDonald continuous good health. Uh, and indeed all our listeners. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. And if you want to get in touch, we're on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The podcast is produced by me, Roisin Ingle, and by Suzanne Brennan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thank you for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.